Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting complex philosophical, spiritual, and political ideas in an engaging and accessible way. The first time I heard about Stephen Malcolmus's band, Pavement, uh, I was reading a zine. I was, I must have been 15 or 16 in small town Pennsylvania. And in the zine, it mentioned that the best band in the world wasn't Pavement or Comet Gain. It was a band playing in somebody's basement somewhere. Um, I remember being really puzzled. Um, I didn't know who Pavement was, uh, but if they could be confused for one of the best bands in the world, I should go check them out. So I did. I went to the local record store and I bought two uh, records. One an EP with a rooster on the cover and another that had words in the title that I didn't understand at all. And uh, from that moment of listening to that clattering, crazy, diverse, multi-layered sound of pavement up until the present day, uh, decades later, when Stephen's latest album, Traditional Techniques, came out. I have been a huge fan, and his music has shaped the way I've thought my aesthetics. It's reinvigorated my will in the world. So I can't tell you how excited I am to share this episode with you. I think one of the things that's really profound about Stephen is that he's somebody who has actually created a new kind of sound, particularly uh, with his band Pavement. We spent a lot of time talking about this in the episode um, and how what he did with his bandmates and then also uh, in his solo work, it kind of broke free from everything else that was happening in the world and in a way that uh, was uncomfortable for a lot of people. I remember reading uh, an article with uh, one of my other favorite musicians, Damon Auburn from Blur, talking about how uh, as Britpop was forming uh, into something that was sort of collapsing under itself uh, in all its ornamentation. Uh, He was looking for new directions in music and he found pavement and they were so important to him and he brought them to the other people in the band including Graham Coxon and they all kind of laughed at him and were like what the hell is this? Uh, But he said it hurt his feelings, but then they soon came around. And of course, uh, a lot of Blur's later music and the solo albums by Blur members have been very deeply influenced by Pavement. And so has music all around. I mean, if you've heard Pavement or Steve's music, you know that sound. And it's a difficult sound to describe, and people have tried in many different ways, so I'm not going to. Uh, I've included a list, uh, a Spotify playlist of all uh, songs from all their albums, um, and in all the iterations, including Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks, uh, his solo projects, uh, a Silver Juice song, and Pavement songs. So you can listen if you're unfamiliar. But even if you haven't ever heard his music, you probably have heard it playing out through other people's instruments, through other people's voices, uh, through the ways that it's permeated the world. To explain some of this, um, Stephen and I talk a lot about two philosophers who we like very much, uh, Gilles Deleuze and Felix Guattari, 
uh, they've influenced both of our thinking. And I think it, it's really useful for us to turn to them because otherwise uh, we don't quite have the language to describe what was happening there uh, with uh, Steve's music in the world. Um, so, you know, whereas we can look at a lot of other musicians um, as just sort of working in logics and forms that have already been created, um, we're talking about something new here and something really amazing. I can't do this show without your support, and I really appreciate all the people who have been supporting the show in this weird, messy moment in history uh, that we're all going through together. So thank you so much uh, for going to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib and supporting the show. If you already support it, awesome. And if you don't and you like this episode, maybe you're new to the show, um, you're one of Steve's fans and you haven't listened to the show, um, There, are, this is episode 109. So <laughs> there have been a lot of episodes already with other really brilliant people in the world, including the anarcho-communist theorist Franco Bifobrardi, Muslim feminist radical Mona El-Tahawi, paranormal researchers Greg and Dana Newkirk, um, musician and activist Billy Bragg, occultist and writer Gordon White, radical political journalist Abby Martin, um, experimental musician Tim Kinsella, and many more. Um, and every episode I post show notes, and those are free and available to anybody. You just go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. You don't even have to be a patron or anything. You can just look at those show notes and they have links to a lot of the books and the thinkers and so on and so forth that we talk about on each episode. If you do sign up, though, you get kickbacks. You get access to lists that I curate of all sorts of things. You get to become part of this thing I've been doing during the global crisis, which is meeting almost every night and giving a sort of informal, what I call a sermon, because uh, I like theological language, um, about something that I find interesting about this moment. So we can turn our attention to things that are interesting and help us become more engaged in the world. There's also a salon that meets uh, once a month, which is a live streaming salon where we all talk about a topic. We've talked about psychoanalysis, we've talked about uh, the occult and Rudolf Steiner and all sorts of things. So please go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib and sign up, get the cool stuff and support the show. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay. Um, please do subscribe on uh, iTunes or wherever and give a five-star review to the show. Um, bad reviews don't hurt the show um, if you don't like it, but why would you review it if you didn't like it? Um, but a five-star review makes it more visible. So uh, there's no change if the review is lower, but if it's a five-star review, the more of those I have, the more visible the show becomes and the more people see it and get to listen to it and share it. And please do share it with others on your social media and so on. Um, all right. I think that's it. That's enough talking for me without Stephen Malcolmus on the other side of this conversation. So uh, I can't tell you how excited I am to share this episode with you. Here we go.
Hey, everybody. It's Against Everyone with Connor Beeb. Uh, I'm very excited to be here with you, Steve Malcolmus. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, it, we're, I think a good place to start is, um, you know, I think there's, there's a big antagonism, a really age-old antagonism between philosophers and artists. And, you know, I even, I lived with a philosopher for a while, philosopher for a while and, uh, you know, really good friends. He won't be upset that I say this, but, you know, he's a brilliant person, but he knew very little about novels, movies, music, although he felt very happy to comment on them. <laughs> and I think that, like, you know, famously Adorno, who your latest record is sort of named after a quip, um, you know, he hated the Beatles and there's actually a conspiracy theory, by the way, that he started and orchestrated the Beatles. I don't know if you know of that conspiracy theory. I've never heard that. (laughs) But um, he, you know, he, he disliked, he disliked music. He it seemed to dislike art of all sorts, um, <laughs> except the, except piano playing or whatever. But I think that you bring philosophy into what you do a lot. I don't know if it, not intentionally, although I guess with the title of the record, but it seems to permeate a lot of what you do. So maybe we start there. Yeah. With- um, well, that's like leisure fun re- that philosophy uh or just reading thinkers is uh entertainment for me i i have to put it that way because i'm not an expert and uh like you know my reading time is novels and twitter and graphic novels sometimes and rock biographies but it's just part of my more than history you know i i don't really like to read historical i majored in history but uh <laughs> yeah i guess you know it's like people thinking a lot and uh intelligent you know i like all of us most of us i respect uh smart people um whatever it's sexy it's cool and i want some of that so you know i'm just expanding my horizons and yeah, when you think about Adorno or any uh, person who you might know this or might agree that some of your heroes in one one realm, when they express their, it can be as small as a political commentator on Twitter or something, and they say what music they like, and you're just you kind of like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> you know, it changes your opinion of them. A little bit, or you're like, just stick, stick to your, uh, I mean, it's the value, it flitters away. I'm I'm not saying that, you know, I look, you know, I'm just like, uh, you Philistine in my genre or, you know, uh, but, uh, that's just a side comment. Um, (laughs) everyone's got different tastes, but so, yeah, I just, I don't know, but going back to the question, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I love to me it's usually you know i can't take it so deep into my soul that i understand everything that i read like that or i'm a i'm a philosopher but yeah it's like you know it's like almost spiritual to think about ideas you know they don't have to be religious like as 
we talk about religion and that's where I, you know, it's that time where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do things to enrich myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. <clears throat> well, I think it, so I've only ever written about music once when, and it was an interview with <laughs> my friend, Chris Leo, who's in the Van Pelt. And I know he toured with you guys once. Yeah. Um, but uh one of the things we talked about was the concept of their band. This sounds really terrible in its way, but just how that era of music when he was in the Van Pelt and I was setting up shows in Pennsylvania, there was this concept of like, we wanted it to be something more than fun. Like fun was really an irritating concept to me as a teenager. In fact, I mean, a lot of it was probably because or trying to have fun in ways that I wasn't allowed into, you know, or I just, I, I couldn't get into or whatever. So I would set up these shows and I would try to have these sort of high-minded, you know, indie rock yeah. bands like Van Pelt or a lot of the DC bands, Chisel and Dismemberment Plan and so on. But like the idea was to have a space that created something that was more than fun, that you would put aside fun in a way and you would come to the show and I, now it sounds so terribly serious to me in a way that is almost distasteful. And yet, I don't know. I still think that there's a space for that there in a way that I guess I was thinking that music was a kind of philosophical you know, proposition or something like that. Something yeah. that was supposed to change people's lives in the way that they thought, not just what they received from listening to songs that they liked, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean... Uh obviously you know i would not obviously but i was you know fun that's fun too (laughs) right yeah (laughs) like finding joy and or like i don't know i yeah if it's just pure candy or something it's not uh that's not gonna there's a place for that i suppose and music uh but yeah the, uh, the things that are really the heavy stuff the best stuff it's gonna have that side to it uh it's gonna for me you know like if you're trying to get to the top and the great things you know you're eventually you're gonna have to like talk about what's it what's it all about and you know it's like a young person in college are arguing about things like you were pre-college even uh uh you're it's gonna that stuff's gonna hit harder i think um and if any, if eventually, if you talk about anything, it's going to get to that, I guess, you know, you're going to have to say like, come on, you know, like, <laughs> this is the real stuff, you know, it's like, listen, you know, um, of course it needs aesthetics of, you know, like there's an aesthetic element to it. There's, is maybe just a little bit about sounds and the way they relate that are maybe not philosophical. I don't know. You know, they're just, and even pre philosophy, pre mind, pre value, you know, like a lot of things come the best things. You don't know where they come from. And of course, after the fact you, I, uh, have to, uh, justify them with my mind. I suppose, but you know, they weren't first. I don't think, you know, they just kind of come out of you uh, 
maybe there's some taste and philosophy that brought you first, but a lot of it is just like, bleh, you know? Well, <clears throat> we'll, we'll come back that to that when I bring up assemblages and Deleuze and stuff. Cause I know you're, <laughs> I know you're into it. And, uh, and I was trying to figure out sort of my way into this conversation with you. And I had like so much Deleuze on my mind lately anyway. So we'll see. <laughs> where that leads us like the way in and sort of not knowing. Yeah. Well, I'll be in? excited to hear you talk about it in a smart way because <laughs> I find yeah. it so difficult to uh, talk about in with words and. Well, I'm know. sure I'll let you down, but. Um, That's fine. <laughs> but I'm what I. have plenty of podcasts of young, you know, like junior assistant professors trying. Uh, <laughs> you know, cause I need help. Well, it'll be not as boring as that, but I don't know if exactly. I'll get it as right as that. <laughs> but, but I was thinking too, like, you know, maybe that time in my life, I, I was so humorless about it. And, you know, I think the sort of early pavement records that I listened to at that time, I mean, I must have been like 16 when I heard pavement for the first time. And first of all I was totally fucking possessive of you in that way that like when you're young you become really possessive of the art you like so when cut your hair that video came out I remember sort of feeling like I had to fend people off liking you which is a horrible thing <laughs> to do but I was like I remember having that feeling of like possession but part of also what I felt was like oh there's like it's becoming funnier in a way like there's more humor here and then as you went on and as, and especially with the solo records and the and the jicks like yeah a sense of humor seemed to creep in more and more in a way that didn't make it like it's not like ween or you know <laughs> something like yeah. that but yeah. it is like nevertheless funnier and i don't know exactly how you manage that without it because it doesn't overwhelm what you do and it doesn't it certainly doesn't take me out of the realm of thinking i don't know how else to say this this is a shitty way to say it but like oh these are real songs you know um yeah it, it doesn't overwhelm that sense of it lyrics are a struggle for everybody i mean i don't know how often you talk to people really about how they do lyrics and i, I do a lot of interviews where i'm by now i probably have a a certain stock way of explaining why it is, but <laughs> again, it just. Do you want to? Do you want to say that stock way? It's fine. No, as, as no I'm just. I it just probably just comes out, you know, because it's like, mm. like whenever I talk about. I mean, I I can't I can't remember right now, but well, you said I think you said once that the that the top or like on the top of the music you have the brain and it's like a broken computer but i don't i don't just mean the lyrics like i mean the music is also funny yeah. like there's yeah. comedic effect in the timing of the music and the sounds that you use and, so on and so forth that's one way of uh you know being humble uh <laughs> or also or you know it's not like a not breaking the fourth wall but you know like mm. it's a we're mate, we're playing here and it's, it's music is play. And that's a big part of it is a playful side of it. So I, 
you know, I, I like music that has that feeling to it. It doesn't have to be comedy, but it's just like, uh, or it could be comedy in a non-funny, fun, like Greek way. But, um, mm. but yeah, things just, mm. just the way it just rolls, you know. And so everything's just, you know, if you cut it down to little bits, it it's going just on a direction, but you don't know which direction it's going to go. So I, I've that's how I like to do it. Um, and of course the song structures are verse and chorus within realm, within reason. Um, they're not, it's not like the most extreme version, um, of that <laughs> would be some sort of free jazz or just, right. you know, whatever, just every, I'm not saying, you know, there is like some <clears throat> neoliberal like glue, <laughs> to make it yeah it's like a cell it's a piece or something i'm just yeah you, know, you know what i mean <laughs> you think that i don't that like you, that neo, but you know there is neoliberal i'm now. not like some radical fully fully uh-huh. radical going every direction delusion <clears throat> but uh yeah so i that's and i but of course that you grow up with that with things that really influenced me at the time like the fall or a band like that which is just mm. like really zigzag and and just like sci-fi turns of events in the music and uh other things you know that you sort of gravitate to not only because other cool people that you wanted to be like liked it but you you also kind of just go you know there's something there you're just like oh that's mm. Pied Piper, I'm going that direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's funny, like the lyric thing, you know, I, I find myself really frustrated, although I don't really know how to articulate it with the fact that whenever people review albums or music or whatever, it's always they always s- seem to state that the song is about what the lyrics are about, which I always have found sort of weird. Because <clears throat> it's all a piece. Like so, even if you have someone just singing and there's no instruments at all, there's still a melody. And yet, like it never seems to come in. It always yeah. seems to focus on the words, you know. And you, I guess, yeah. But that's because you're writing about it too, right? I mean, words, right? Yeah, yeah. Words just like stick to words, and <laughs> it's like, as you know, it's like. Uh, and I, you know, I can understand it sometimes too, because like, that's the hardest part or even when you're a teenager to like, as you, I heard that you're writing, have a novel being printed, but especially when you're younger, like to be a, a vocalist and you would, uh, that's really hard to be like the one to step up and be singing the words. Of course you get older and you know, people already like you. It's easier. Um, but those first, you know, it's like, Jesus, what am I going to say? It's like, uh, you know. <laughs> um, so I think even those writers who aren't musicians, you know, they're also like, I'm a writer and this is someone writing mm-hmm. creatively. I'm going to like hold on to this, you know, like they might see it just, I don't know. Did you write lyrics ever sing them? Oh yeah, really bad ones. Um I the one Me like I, 
<laughs> well, like the two unrealized ambitions, I, like one was, is that like, I haven't learned Arabic and the other is I wanted to write country music. And I just got a guitar like a week ago, actually, because I just decided, well, I wanted to pour a lot of the, I mean, I have creative energy probably like 90% of the day, but I, you know, spend yeah. A shitload of, of it just watching horrible TV and like scrolling, you know, and I just thought I want to feed this back into something that I want to do. So I got this guitar and, and actually, I don't know if I should say this or not. Maybe I'll just bleep it out. But I like Ben, yeah. ben, ben Chasney was like, I'll teach you how to play guitar. And I was like, <laughs> how could I pass that up? You know, mm. I mean, what a, what a, the best person. Yeah. To so, um, <clears throat> so I'll be writing terrible lyrics sometime soon. I'm sure terrible country lyrics in Ireland. It's going to be great. It's possible they could be good. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> my friends who like country music more than I do, which I don't. I mean, I like Hank Williams and many classic things, but I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't keep up on everything. I have great records I like by Willie Nelson. I mean, I'm real main mainstream uh -huh. indie rock guy who likes country. But he said, like, Dave, my friend David who died, you know, he's like, there's, back in the zeros, he would say there's like four or five amazing modern country songs every, every year. But, you know, they're very, he might have been projecting for himself but, or whatever, but, you know, he's like, there are just amazing, absolutely, through all the tropes or cliches of writing these songs these amazing songs come through and and we have them in our genres too you know of course we have blind spots of what those mm -hmm. cliches are too so it's not like it's, you know i'm just being biased i guess but so you might you might be able to uh make <laughs> well, it happen. I, I mean i think for me i just wanted the sort of displacement of being in ireland and writing what seemed to me to be super uh american music so i like country music but <clears throat> there's something about the weirdness of it here even though a lot of people i mean like garth brooks was like <laughs> enormous here you know in general i've noticed american songwriters are there's a, like always had good shows there and uh -huh. yeah, just lyrics or people have taken the time to, to realize that, or, you know, like it's respect the Bob Dylan side of uh, music, you know, it'd be like, hell yeah, he deserved a uh, Nobel prize or whatever, like Ireland, mm -hmm. many, um, many people. So, or the, I don't know if it's because of Irish, just being a, you know, literature place, at least Dublin. Um, or it's a whole yeah. country. Yeah. Yeah. So you might be in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see, <laughs> but, uh, your, your songs are so populated by characters, you know? Um, and I don't know, it's like, sometimes the characters are really direct, you know, um, where you name them sometimes, I'm thinking of like Brink's job, which I don't know if you like if this is real or not, but I remember reading something when the when Wowie Zowie came out about it being, you know, you were thinking about bank robbers who had just 
you know, like we're like overwhelmed with delight, you know? Um, and, and also when you do falsetto in your song, it sounds like, you know, like a pencil rot, like there's this change, this shift into a kind of characterness. And I'm wondering, like, do you feel like you're inhabiting some of the people that you evoke when you, or the characters that you evoke when you write the songs or like, do they feel distant to you? Do the songs themselves feel like characters? I mean, there's only a few voices all of us have. And like, just in terms of like the physical things that your voice can do. So, you know, it has to sound cool, you know, it's dumb to say, but you know, it's like things that you can sing with conviction you know, you can sing loud and not um, be uncomfortable singing it. So, I mean, the characters of the songs are usually, you know, based on kind of universal th- things that I feel that people can relate to that, you know, they're like somewhat stock characters, like in a, not Shakespearean sense, but just, you know, they're not real people. It's just like a, way of inhabiting a a feeling that we you know i think we can all have or that i've felt and so usually me in a different you know me imagining Mm -hmm. myself in a different body that's relatable i don't know ulysses is james joyce or something even if it's not him or all the characters yeah i don't know not to mention that because you live in <laughs> that's okay. That's my favorite novel, so that's fine. <laughs> Me and Pete Buttigieg, asshole. <laughs> so, coming to to this, you know, he said this thing that he thought of ideas as characters. You know, like he 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 would come to ideas like people would come to characters in novels, and <clears throat> that's how he responded to them. And I think sometimes when I hear songs. I want them, I don't know how to, I don't exactly know how to articulate this, but like, I almost want them to like untether themselves and like, and wander through music somehow, like wander away. Like you could, I I suppose classical music does this in some way, right? You have these classical composers who their music gets played again and again and again. (laughs) Nobody calls the symphony a cover band, right? Or like some great (laughs) pianist, like a cover musician because like these songs get to have, it feels really like a completely different life from performance to performance. And I think that in that way, music feels like it's creating characters to me in, in some way. And I don't know if you feel that way about your, songs ever if they feel like um i don't know like they're like they don't ever have to be complete you know so like (laughs) something that's weird to me i was looking through interviews with you and stuff and so many people had asked you like talk about like talk about every track on this album like talk about (laughs) the 10 favorite pavement songs and tell me more about them and i just thought people do they have a sense that these songs aren't complete that they're not finished and they want you to somehow finish them so then i was wondering if you were having also feelings that maybe like they weren't done or that they were somehow like still living their lives or something and I, like i said i don't exactly quite know how to articulate that but it was yeah. just something i was feeling well from just a work perspective they're done like 
I think most musicians would tell you they're they're done once you once you made them they're kind of done like uh uh you went as far as you could and you've learned something during that actual process mm-hmm. and signed off on it there's a certain doneness is I'm done with it maybe yeah I mean from even a not even a Deleuze just a postmodern simple 101 they're not done you know like everything's can have a new meaning and change and it's not what I thought it was necessarily or Mm. I don't know I wouldn't want to revisit them that's for sure you know so that's a certain (laughs) you know what I mean like Mm. I've seen some artists before that want to re-record their songs with different people But I, I sort of like the period correctness of, or just the time and, you know, I like nostalgia and I, I do, I don't want to live in nostalgia, but I'm, I'm saying that's like an emotion that is like really uh, feels good sometimes, you know, these mm-hmm. things that you liked and it's like this chemical feeling you have for certain not only music, but people or places. I don't, I wouldn't, you know, it can change, of course, but like, I do like that feeling, you know, like, I, yeah. You must feel that when you play the songs again, I guess. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> there was a, <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but the They Might Be Giants, I guess, for the first few years they played, they never played the same song twice at any concert. And that's why they were able to do that dial-a-song thing, because they just had this huge... Kept making new songs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they never that. really revisited <laughs> them. But I suppose, you know, like playing a song again, yeah. you know, must but elicit yeah. a feeling of affection or something. Yeah, it's more of a communal mm. payback, and it's a. It, it doesn't feel bad. There's some bit of uh, a social contract mm-hmm. <laughs> a concert to to do that. You know, there's a. You know, labor is exchanged in the form of money, and you play the song. But it's also, <laughs> it's you know, getting they change and like when you're playing them it's like a physical thing too. So, you know, I don't know what you think of the physical and the mental and the, you know, like the Smith does the mind rule the body. It does the bond rule the body. I don't know. But you know, there's something when you're playing music doesn't have to do with that Smith's quote, but you know, you just like, like a machine, you're like, your body's just moving and it's, Uh and you're with four other people too. Like, it's not really like being a songwriter at all or like doing the song. It's like a whole different, whole different thing that certain people are really good at or, you know, and then, you know, you know that like some people have charisma and it comes off them and you like can feel it within five feet away or something. And that happens in concerts and yeah, you can hear that through a mic, through a recording and you can get chills, but the recording is kind of like, disembodied a little bit or you know it's like in your room a different feeling than being right there and i mean i don't know do you like seeing live performances and stuff yeah yeah i mean and 
I'm thinking about the times when it's actually irreproducible. So like, I mean, it would surprise people, I think, but like the best, I think the best live singer I've ever seen is Nina person from the cardigans. And what, when she, once she played with the cardigans, but also when she played with a camp and when she played solo stuff, um, both times with her husband, Nathan Larson, who was in shutter to St. Coin. Right. Yeah. Nathan's great. They're both, but, but the, but the, the presence, like the presence of her live, you know, you can watch as many videos as you want of it and it's not reproducible at all. And that's, that's confusing when you <laughs> when you experience that because it should be i mean on the album perhaps like it's produced but like people expect to be able to watch a live performance online and you know uh and, and feel it but you but you don't i mean there's something the charisma or whatever yeah that brings this completely new flow into what's happening there and i suppose it it also changes with the kind of music so like you know if you if you're playing gold sounds and people are singing along and experiencing it that way, that's a very different kind of presence than when you're playing like, and like a bit wilder from groove denied or something like that. And so that, I mean, I think that that kind of, even in the same person can shift like 20 times on stage. I mean, if you have enough of a back catalog to do that. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Of course, everyone's subjective. What's what a, a vibe is to them, you know. But like, it happens sometimes. Like certain songs, certain people, certain shows can be. I don't know. And then you have to bring yourself to it too. So it's like <laughs> a complicated relationship to when things are like gonna blow you away. We're looking for, you know. I just when I I like going to see music concerts is a couple a year. Maybe I go twice a month, a couple a year where you're just like, that was the one that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, could be whatever reason. There are some limitations. Usually it's going to be a smaller place. Of, you know, I don't, I know some people might have the ability to, uh, mm-hmm move you on a big state from the back of the room or something, you know, that maybe I'm just jaded from my being in the biz or something. It doesn't happen to me that often. <laughs> I got to be like up there close in a small room and there's, and maybe I have some, mm-hmm. you know, insecurity stakes where it's just like, they're just doing it. You know, they worked hard to get here, loaded in their own amps. You know, there's some sort of <laughs> like, uh-huh. some leninist solidarity with the people on the stage (laughs) well no i think it's true like i mean i saw i saw pavement uh on lollapalooza um (laughs) so and you and i mean it was enormous that that was it was a great lollapalooza as far as bands go it was built to spill on helium and you and yeah and sonic youth and so forth but you know i I'm, I knew every word from every fucking song. And then I saw you play in Dublin for Groove Denied and I didn't know any of it, you know, I like, but that show was way better. I mean, it was just, a, it was a smaller club. It was, yeah. I mean, there's something about being contained and, and sort of forcibly <laughs> surrounded, you know? Yeah. And I don't, it's not just intimacy. Um, yeah. 
it's some it's something else. Yeah, you were talking about that actually with Ian Svevnonius. I saw um, in like one of the most bizarre interchanges I've ever seen. <laughs> He's doing TV on stage. It was very uncomfortable that and weird. Bizarre. That um, was bizarre. Dead <laughs> Men also did it. What's um, that? Dead Moon was also on that episode. The Garage Band from Portland uh-huh. and for the first time, but. He's a strange character, as you might know. He's a, I mean, he's, at one point, he's totally sincere, and then he's completely not. He's kind of a total, the whole package, you know, like, (laughs) of a certain 90s, 90s type of person that I can, uh, you know, I just, I guess it just brings me back to uh, harsh 90s reality. <laughs> well, you I brought him up because you were talking about yeah, Maxwell's yeah. in that discussion and how that was somehow like the right the exact right place and yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. It it is like that is making me think about how theatrical the whole thing is, how like all the elements have to sort of flow together to bring a certain kind of ideal, you know. Um yeah, and they're fleeting almost, you know, kind of LSD style thought, you know, it's like you just see like, oh, it's just coming. Everything's <laughs> just like, that was it. It's gone. You know, uh, we'll try again. Or even if it was only then, that's enough too. You know, like, I don't that And making albums is the same way. You're kind of, there is an alchem- alchemy style when you wrote your novel or or just create adventures in general or things that your friends did the, if you like put everything on a wall and like your plot and everything's and this is going to be this you just know or you know you probably write it and then it starts getting weird or morphing and those are the parts you like better than like that nailing it you know like a gymnast <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally it's not yeah, it's a definitely like the athleticism of it is really not, you know, nice, but it's not ultimately what I would want or to go for. Um, I mean, I can certainly hear like a Taylor Swift song and really love it for how it's put together and how it's constructed and really, you know, it'll get stuck in my head, but it's not going to, I don't know, undo something in me. You know, it's not going to mess with me ever. And I think with the with writing a novel i mean interestingly like <laughs> what you were saying before like you wouldn't want to revisit the songs like for me the novel was a short story that i wrote 15 years ago and then i tried to write it as a screenplay like i don't know like 12 years later or something and that sucked but i just kept thinking about the the characters and what happened and then i wrote it as a novel and that was just being sort of you know, like my desire was always in front of me when I did it. I just sort of followed my desire. And I think that that's kind of the, one of the best ways to do it. And just like um, this South American novelist, Cesar Ira. I don't know if you know his stuff or not. Oh, you'll, no. you'll, lo- you'll love Where's him. From? Argentina. And uh, he's contemporary. And <clears throat> he has like 50 novels out or something. It's crazy. And they're all, you know, almost the same length, which is like, 80 pages or whatever and he and so he he writes and then he's 
<laughs> he never revises, he says, and he says he always writes until there's like a, a challenge that he can't overcome or he'll, he'll create a challenge that he can't overcome. And then the next day he'll have to dig himself out of it. And so they go in completely weird directions. Like there's, you know, one called, I think, How I Became a Nun, where like the character's identity just keeps changing again and again. And then there's another one where there's like ghosts and robots. And I mean, it's just completely bizarre. Um, but it's really, I like that idea of. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> you like Borges, of course, or something, because he's Argentinian. Well, he loves Borges, right? But Borges is so compact and like so completely like if anybody's stories feel complete i think it would be borges or it's like cesar ira just really does feel like he's wandering through and and making sure he has to contend with what has just been imagined and it's really exciting the miracle cures of dr ira let me do some of the Deleuze stuff that I've been thinking about a lot because um, like I've been thinking about how much like what an intense so bear with me for a second through this one okay so um, I've been thinking about what intense influence your music has had and really in some ways from very at least close to the beginning you know I mean I'm the first time I ever heard of you guys I was reading some zine in Pennsylvania when I ever heard of Pavement, I was reading some zine in Pennsylvania and it was like about the best bands in the world. And the point it was trying to make was the best band has is playing in a basement and nobody will ever hear it. But the way it did, it would say, and this is so weird. I remember the line. It said the best band isn't pavement or comet game, which is such a bizarre like comparison. And I actually knew who comet game was somehow. So I looked up, pavement you know and but if, of course it was framed in terms of you being you could be mistaken for the best right so of course i was yeah. very and i mean i think i'm just saying that to demonstrate like from the beginning this like profound you know influence and sort of you know permeation of people's psyches and so <clears throat> i was trying to think about that and i was trying to think about it like in regards to Deleuze and also occult stuff. So this is where um, we'll go on for a little bit. And then yeah. everybody listening, please know that I'm going to let Stephen talk about it as much as I am. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Because I know you like Deleuze and Quattri. I thought about it in those terms. So there's this um, concept of becoming in Deleuze, you know, and, and, and Quattri where it's like, it's emotion, basically. Uh, it's like not productive is not perhaps not the right word, but it's a it's emotion whereby something gets sort of concretized into a form, but also this kind of like energy is kind of also released at the same time. But the becoming is a process. It's not about the object that becomes. So you know, I was thinking about how throughout early sort of pavement years you have this kind of massive like becoming energy happening that um i it goes in all sorts of different directions and i think this is the most evident in wowie zowie where there's this intensity of becoming that flies into all these different directions and um 
and becomes all these different forms, which is why I think the album is was sort of unmanageable for people in the sense of like it was it's like that that record is like a bestiary. There's so many different kinds of songs on that album. But the other thing that happens in becoming is that it doesn't just become fixed, like the the becoming doesn't become fixed in these forms of these songs. Um, but there's this occult view on it of Andalus and Guattari, um, where this thing called deactualization happens, where the uh, sort of power of the becoming itself gets sort of set free into the world. So one of the really easy ways to think about this is, if you've ever seen Hodorowsky's Dune, they have this whole thing about Alejandro Hodorowsky making this version of Dune that, you know, he yeah. got all this money for, right. Yeah. It's just for the listeners, like he cast Orson Welles and Mick Jagger and Salvador Dali, but the movie was never made. Um, ultimately the plug got pulled in a sort of later stage, but then all the tremendous intensity of the becoming of the movie got sort of released into the world and started appearing in all these different forms. And I do think that this kind of deactualization happened with pavement where like it, it somehow found its way kind of wandering into the world. And that, um, you know, it, it culminated, it built, and then it just sort of burst. And I don't know if you have thought about <laughs> that because it is a curious, it, it, it's a weird question. And I don't think it should just be prescribed to chance this idea of like, well, why some artists become so influential and not others? Well, it's just, that's just the way it goes, right place, right time. But in fact, I do think this kind of deactualization process um, happens there, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it happened. Yeah, that our ver, you know, in our uh, relatively closed system <laughs> outside of the pre-body without organs, it was. It is that happened. You know, it happens. You know, it's hard for me to talk about it happening to me, but you know, we see it happen and those kind of things happen and, and mm. things not, you know, morphine or taking off in ways you didn't imagine, or just, you know, that's a, a beauty of creativity and, or just the way things it works. Yeah. You know, it happens on a smaller level, just with each of us, what we, not only in your creative endeavors, but like who you meet and, well, that's creative too, but uh, just the turns your life takes. <laughs> um, and yeah, the the one, I mean, I'm taking it more simp, simp dumbing it down maybe to just like, uh, not necessarily, but just when you create something and it has, you don't really know what it is. <clears throat> you just know you like it and you can't explain it. And it, but you kind of know that it's good and you just like, <laughs> I don't know, just like, and it didn't exactly exist before um, that way, even though it has all these influences of everything else, um, all the other uh, machines. I think it's usually when you have a sort of a risk, a feeling of risk where you don't really know if it's, if it's good, but you kind of think it is, or, you know, or you, 
you're sort of vulnerable about there's been other times and other records that we did like there was one it was called watery domestic it's one of the eps of pavement and mm-hmm. i remember playing it we had made it and it wasn't like slanted and enchanted was the one before that which was still like pretty um i wouldn't call it like hip but you know it had all the references the cool a lot of what were cool like considered to be cool <laughs> mm-hmm. like the fall and velvet underground and i don't know noisier noisier uh college radio left of the dial stuff and then that record was a little more um songy and i mean i could say it's like not like rem but you know it was a little and i played it like for sonic youth when we were on tour with them i was like they're gonna this is like they're gonna hate this or you know it's like this is like goofy pop or just not cool and then but everyone liked that even more in some ways certain people mm. and that, i was like oh wow you know it's like oh i'm i can uh i can like this is being a young a young artist or something or whatever you know like it's like oh i can i'm okay i can do what i want to do and it's okay it's still good or you know like uh and may, like Wowie Zowie was maybe even more that it's like I can just you one can just go for it, <laughs> not even know if it's necessarily good. But I mean, there's a little bit of maybe hubris or confidence at that time too. It doesn't have to do with the loose, but <laughs> <laughs> well, that record. Like most artists, never achieve i i think maybe they strive but i would say they never achieve that kind of like deactualization so like they're working in patterns that are the result of someone else's having achieved it in a way so you have people working in certain traditions and they're working in the processes that other people have created and they're sort of echoing a kind of pre-established logic in a way and I, I mean, I think it's it's really abundant in like the political realm. Like if you see leftists who are writing for Jacobin or whatever else they're writing for, they're really just sort of mauling over the same idea again and again and like spitting it out. And it, it's, it's okay because people yeah. need to find their own ways in. And when you hear it from a certain voice, it, you know, like it can resonate with you more than it would have with another voice. But I mean, I think the problem with that is that it, you know, becomes overabundant and just becomes like waste making after a while, you know, <laughs> it's just like, you yeah. know, there's like con- content is like the, you know, the, the term you would almost have for that. It's like this enveloping yeah. of already formed forces, like the forces have already been formed and you just keep repackaging and repackaging. But I think that, you know, like that must I mean, if you're if you're willing to accept the terms that I'm putting out here, I mean that must have also completely altered you to if if I realize it might be hard for you to like admit that that you'd done this thing, but like if if you'd done it, it must have completely altered you as being somebody who did that and then continuing to make music, right? And so now you have this record that's like. I mean, it's even named um, for tradition, 
yeah. and you're working in these other forms that pe- other people had kind of deactualized and created for you. But it's still, it's still Steve Malcolm's yeah. <laughs> record, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it it can't escape. Like no other traditions can escape you now because you've created one. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean that's nice to say, and <laughs> I think it's what we all. I mean, even on a purely you know, like within the system, a market-driven uh, music system over history, the, the people that have done that, um, and there's many, like Bjork, uh, Lou Reed, or I don't know. There's just certain avatars of it, you know, that we uh, we can see that and we know we, like, value that, um, whether or not it's sold as much as something else or, you know, and whether or not it's used as a thing to sell it today. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's still real, I think. And I think it's fair to talk about that and not talk about it as just a co-opting of it. Um, you know, I don't know. Because it happened and things changed and people thought, saw things differently. And and you were, you, I think, think it's not too old fashioned to say you like re- react to it like on a pre consumer way, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not a Marxist way, which those guys were good at separating. Um, and, and it's a good way to talk about it. Um, and I'd like, yeah, I'm into wowie zowie and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And maybe that affected me. I mean, when you're doing that things though, it's yeah, there's certain moments of, yeah. If you look back on your work, anybody in their life or, you know, not work in, in your, uh, there, there are certain crossroads, I guess, or times that were a little more meaningful. Um, uh, it's fair to say that, you know, even if when you're making records, like I'm just doing what I'm doing, I'm just like reacting and, trying to be creative and and uh there's certain times where it's a little everything lines up <clears throat> yeah i feel like i feel like people that insist on that like i'm just doing what i'm doing well like that is true sometimes but i do think that like when it's i don't know i think it's obvious sometimes when something is coming through when it's breaking through the way that i the way that I talk about it, um, independent of <laughs> Deleuze and Guattari, is like there's a difference between mythic art and occult art. So, like, mythic art is a cyclical, it's like the repetition of themes, and nothing ever gets to leave. Like, the avant garde is kind of is kind of a ridiculous concept. Nothing gets to leave and be completely new. But occult art does break the cycle like the mythic cycle of of that wheel and it it does something new based on the kind of power and intent of the individual or individuals involved and i think in that sense it's way more worthwhile especially for right now when everything well before our global crisis was that everything's running on you know marvel superheroes and familiar themes and just keeping the same faces coming again and again and again. Then you have something like the yeah. new Twin Peaks, which is obviously a cult art. Like it's obviously something new that's shattering and shocking and really frustrating. Um, and that's part of the 
thing. Like when you are helping create that change and you see it, you know, um, I mean, maybe people are just afraid of not becoming monsters when they recognize it in themselves. Like, I mean, Marky Smith was obviously a total jerk in a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> you know, and part of that, I think, was his inability to handle the fact that he really did do something like this as well, you know, um, and that at a certain point, he, he <laughs> it's like he couldn't look back on the fact that he had, you know, done this de-actualizing thing and like that he was always going to be, you know, in his own sort of groove, but he didn't want anybody else to do it, right? Like, so I think yeah. that that's what happens to people is they become jerks you know, they're afraid that they might become jerks. So, but they counterbalance that by being like, I'm just making music, man. Like, I'm not really, you know, <laughs> and there's got to be a more sensible way of talking about it, I think, mm -hmm. than one of those, you know, either, yeah. either of those. Work, but yeah, I felt, you know, when he, he died, I was like, not, I didn't feel like writing about it or doing a eulogy, mainly because he was a really bad alcoholic. And I just didn't really <laughs> want to address that in a, Mm. I just didn't, because that was a big part. Unfortunately, that was as a material problem uh -huh. <laughs> that that had to be addressed. And I don't know. Still listen to his great his great music and be blown away. <clears throat> and the communal aspect, the other people that were involved in it too. Um, mm is really important and you know i'm i'm here talking while he's out he was but you know it's every you know it's like the whole like uh environment behind it do know? you feel like and i mean i don't want to stick to while he's too much in the way that like it's not like uh <laughs> like i remember michael stipe saying something once about you know when people would come up to him and be like i really love fables of the reconstruction or something he'd be like you know i've made music since then you know like it would really piss him <laughs> off you know and i understand why especially it's all right no it's it's I, i'm fine with that i'm like but more i guess than fine with it because it's it's part of what people like you talk about it you know it's like not a it's not a threat to okay. me don't worry i i think i'm thinking more about the fact of you know, whatever inner life stuff was happening for you then, I don't necessarily mean like, oh, I was going through this and this. Like, I don't mean outer life stuff, like outer life events, but actual sort of the mood and this the inner gestures that were going on for you then. And as you've moved on, I mean, it's, you know, however, eight, eight, yeah. 20 years, 25 years, something, whatever. But like, more than that, I don't fucking know. I'm yeah, it's like old around well. twenty-five. Yeah, but I'm just wondering if those moods, like that weather, shows up in you constantly, or if you feel like each time it's like severed and something new arises. I think it's inevitable that you know, like you react to what not only you thought was what I, what I thought was good, but like what other people, friends and maybe friends first or your, your social group, but yeah, things, you know, it's like, Oh, well that worked. They like that. <laughs> what did I do then? You know, there, there's, you know, like 
it's that seeps in. You're just like, I remember the like face of truth. One of my kind of solo albums, which was more solo than some other albums, more solo. And then it was a little more like Wowie Zowie. And a lot of the Wowie Zowie songs were a lot of uh, just me and the drummer. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was like, well, yeah, I'm just going to go like all these different directions like that. And it's like, just go this way, zigzag. And what does it all mean? I don't really care, except that um, there were some different influences on it where I was, I was maybe pulling from some private press records and records that were, or sounds that were never pop, like no one knew. And it was at a time when people were also kind of getting into reissuing um, records made by people that didn't have re- major late put out the records themselves, private press, but within the same realm, uh, Wowie Zowie had more like David Bowie, Led Zeppelin, BC boys, or, you know, there's some <laughs> can or stereo lab or, you know, things that I was maybe more into uh, crushing classic rock or uh, doing a ba- a backwards version of these things that were accepted already, um, <laughs> um, and so that by that time I was like, no, these are things no one ever liked, but they were good. And because um, yeah, music is usually inspired. Well, art is always inspired by others and things you you, you like. It's it's uh. But how do you uh, queer that or make it like different uh, how it hasn't been done? I've always tried to be aware of that. And, you know, just from a just uh, wanted to do something different (laughs) than has already been done. And uh, that's always been a goal. So and, you know, with without the with fully knowing that it, it's all been done. <laughs> well, um, it's, the, yeah, but it's not, it's not all been done through you. Right. So it can't, yeah. it can't. And also it's all, it's all, mm, it's all growing. You know, I mean, that's the other Deleuze thing. Right? Yeah. Difference is repetition. Oh, I know. And I've gotten right. more into that. Like even the group group denied in this new record, you know, that those are more like thinking in that way where it was, like anything that is a even more left field connection or uh, like seeing the connections in, in that way that like uh, things can relate like in another dimension than just like uh, David Bowie to indie rock or something. I was like, that's a real straight one, but you know, it's just like, there's all these other things like knowing that that's all happening and like embracing that, uh, consciously. Yeah, I, I mean, you Instead definitely uncon- have, a- I was probably doing it unconsciously before, but. <clears throat> well, you, I mean, I don't know if you are conscious or unconscious of the things that work their way in. So like when I hear like, um, hopscotch Wilkie, right? <laughs> like there's almost this like Tex Avery cartoon, like clattering like sound to it whereas like when you're talking about um uh face the truth there's that song i've hardly been on there and there's like this repetition that's like 
it's almost like lungfish level repetition where it's just again and again. So sometimes I think, Oh, and you have this other song where the, the, the synth in the beginning of it is like, uh, I think it's also on face the truth, but it sounds quite like, um, there's this brainiac song where it's like little, uh, drag. That's what it's called. Right. I love hearing. I love all those bands. It's so great. Okay. <laughs> so you have all these well, there's of- extremely great live bands too. You're speaking uh-huh. of. These uh-huh. are bands where we're talking, going back to the live thing. Those are two groups where I've been blown away by the concerts specifically. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, that's just an aside. Um. <laughs> well, no, it's good. I mean, I've never got to see Brainiac, but certainly seen Lungfish. I always felt like, um, I always felt like with them that people were going like you know these very often just total like secular punk kids were going to have this spiritual experience. But I always thought that like when Dan Higgs, so so for people who don't know what he looks like, I'll put a picture of him in the show notes. He's like basically Walt Whitman in a band. So, but you like singing these beautiful, like intense lyrics to repetition, this kind of like droning trance, ugly music and I always thought his his he would just levitate above the stage just like a centimeter, and that people would see that, and in that one centimeter they'd have to revise everything they knew about the world for the rest of their lives, you know, like just that <laughs> tiny amount of space I you think know it I, happened they're like sort of a a secret history band, like I talk <laughs> about groups like that, which is uh, just like the heads or everyone I know likes them, but we didn't like realize it. Uh (laughs) it can can be any you know we didn't necessarily have that conversation it's like oh lungfish is amazing yeah like Mm. are you you just find that you've organized your life that the people that care about that's one of those ones that everyone's like yeah they're better than the other bands and (laughs) right (laughs) it's known but they don't sell records or something or it's not in print Mm. you know I, i like stuff like that um that's so interesting though. Why do you think, why do you think that? Cause that is true, right? The secret history of it. There are these figures that people just don't. And then maybe like, I could think of like maybe Daniel Johnson, right? Like Kurt Cobain wearing that shirt. And then suddenly, I mean, that's how I found out who Daniel Johnson was, but I can imagine that yeah. being someone like that until someone sort of shoves them in everybody's face. But I just mostly, read that Supreme is doing a, do you know Supreme, the skateboard? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're making, <laughs> speaking of like, you know, when punk rock like got co-opted, you know, like that was a big deal for me when I was like 82 or something, you know, 81. I was like, I realized, oh, you know, like, you know, that's going to happen always or, you know, the avant-garde gets co-opted. Well, mm-hmm. and I, that, you know, I was like, whoa, that's, okay, that's the way the world is. Um, but he's got like a Supreme's doing a Daniel Johnson t-shirt <laughs> um, line now. I just saw. Uh, <laughs> Imagine so. people skating like those skateboard videos where people are like falling off the rails, like to unsane songs, but it's Daniel Johnston. And <laughs> it's so bizarre. Yeah. And it's coming from a good place. I know doubt. I, but, uh, uh-huh. I mean, but uh, just like, okay. <laughs> That is like, I mean, that is the whole, that is the possessiveness though, that I was talking about before when, you know, I was listening 
to payment and just like I really was angry. God, it was terrible. I remember like I was also I was in love with the breeders. Pod was just one of my favorite records ever. And then of course they became one of the biggest bands, you know, well had, yeah. had a hit that was huge. I love that spellbound or hellbound. Oh, so good. But I remember coming to school wearing a breeder's shirt and this jock was like, oh, I love that band. And I I was such a dick. I was like, fuck you, man. Like I got angry because for some reason I was so possessive because like when something leaves your secret history somehow, you know, like, I don't know if it, it, there was a time when it felt devalued and certainly that played into that whole era of selling out and yeah. all that, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was a... That was a, a time in the 90s, no doubt. It, it, I mean, and it, there was a, yeah, Steve Albini said, thou shalt not. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I was definitely part of that. Uh, <laughs> Responsible for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we were controlling, really, we were controlling our own production. And, like, we sort of believed that, we, I wanted more people to hear us and stuff, but I thought this is like the best way to control our prod, our like stuff we wanted to do. I mean, it was very, it was totally capitalist in our own, in our own way, you know, in, in my situation, I was not pure as like the New York hardcore, uh, or, uh, certain like, uh, riot girls or something. I don't know, whatever just using different indie purity levels. (laughs) There's that movie green room. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's like ultra violent, you know, made by the guy who made blue ruin. And it's about this punk rock band touring. And I've seen it, but I've forgotten it. Well, it's it's not, it's not as good as blue ruin, but it, but it starts with them being like, well, we don't have any internet presence. We don't, like whatever, like basically they were trying to sort of nostalgically re-evoke, um, that, you know, that, that. The, yeah, the era that we <laughs> lived yeah. through. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, they got all torn to shreds by pit bulls and stuff like that. So they're, they're punished for it. But um, I mean, I'm, that is, you know, that is inevitable component of this conversation i think which was just like finding i i don't i i don't know how i knew any of the shit that i knew back then at all like i don't know i mean you would see bands and you would see the opening bands you would go to the record store and you would pick something up and um you know and then you'd be very committed to it in a certain kind of way and i do wonder that this is the inevitable part because it relates to coronavirus sorry but i do wonder like if there is a kind of uh there's a kind of like a break from the loop here or something like that where people people will do this kind of archaic thing of wanting that again of wanting to associate and find things a little differently now that you're thinking that there, there could be some uh you're being optimistic that perhaps some (laughs) good things can happen from this like i mean without going too far down the 
the coronavirus <laughs> rabbit hole. I mean, yeah, I think that there are lots of great things that can come from this and lots of terrible things. That's, that's good. I want to hear more good things. Like, expand on the good. Oh, uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> well, the good, I mean, yeah, I will expand on the good, but I, yeah. but I just want to say like what I brought it up in reference to the music thing in the sense of like, it seems like, I wonder if there's a space for things to be sort of more archaic in a way, like as weird as it sounds, because the way technology is permeating our lives right now, still, it seems like people will be gravitating towards a kind of quality that was before maybe lost a little bit. I mean, I think like that's, uh, you know, as far as the good stuff goes, it's like, I've been trying to just sort of get people out of thinking like, out of staying in their kind of fantasy of whether or not this is going to be sort of hyper mass surveillance, capitalism, AI nightmare, or just total economic and industrial collapse or, you know, this is the, you know, it's just going to go back to normal or we'll have a new age, you know, love and light society, but rather to say, you know, to leave those fantasies and instead like generate your own and say like, well, what do I want here? And to act from there, because I think that that's, that makes sense. I think that's good. I mean, I, I agree that the, the, uh, yeah, the, the think in these absolutes and especially in the, here the moment um <laughs> it's uh yeah look towards wall street and their futures they are betting on it being okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah we should just get not what should, you're thinking but them. you know i'm saying others even colder less magical thinking people are thinking like you um, uh-huh. <laughs> without the same results you know i'm just saying yeah no you're no you're right i mean i think it the the thing is like this whole situation started because of our fantasies and our desires. I mean, like if you look at, it's like <laughs> all the fucking apocalyptic thinking that was happening at the end of, well, in the past few years, but at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, it's like war with Iraq, you know, uh, the, the collapse of the, the Euro, the Nazis, 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 Trump, 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 yeah. like, you know, we were, we were working very hard to evoke uh, one apocalypse or another. I mean, the surprising thing is actually rather like how mild this is compared to the, the imaginings that we have. And so I think the real problem is that it also emerged, a virus emerged into a socioeconomic and political crisis that we also evoked. And so I think, we, you know, like it's really important for people to start getting their fantasies so that they want what they want, you know, like instead of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I've been reading some kind of sixties, uh, acid, um, uh, <laughs> this thing by uh, William Craddock, it's called be not content. So anyway, he's like ground zero 1965. Mm-hmm. The acid is pure. He's a young guy. He's before, uh, the hippie ideal is like overtaken San Francisco and it's kind of like on the scene, laying it down. And he, you know, he's, these same questions were, were there, you know, like they're getting, it was maybe, you know, it wasn't as intense because of uh, the internet and whatever. It's just, 
accelerated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the same. It's just I don't know. You just see that that was this the same thing was happening, or a, an iteration of that was happening back then. Um, of course, it's like I said, it's less intense and um, perhaps, or maybe it's not. I don't know. It's less intense than they experienced or it's more there, intense. Theirs was less intense or, you know, maybe uh, it was, you know, or I'm well, just, people are being know, drafted for the war. Right. So like it probably yeah. was more intense on some levels. Yeah. yeah. Or just the whole world was going to end, you know, they thought mm. too, you know, but you know, they thought maybe can have a, the, the middle-class uh, kids <laughs> that were doing it thought, you know, it was a different time, but, um, I'm just well, saying there's, there's a parallel where people were think, I'm just wondering how you think it's different now or why it happened now, even worse, you know, is it worse? It is right. Because. Well, no, I don't, I don't think it's worse or better. I just think we're, I think we're really given a choice, you know, to, to, to direct things consciously in a way. I mean, I love the, I love the double meaning of the title of that. So like, not be not content, but uh, be not content, you know, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that you, you know, what's really important now, and I'm not just saying this to make you feel great about it, but what's really important now is that people who really are artists and not just content creators have some role in what's happening because the, 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 the grind, you know, um, that everybody was in that, that people were just constantly feeding so they could never stop. And then it, it, it all of a sudden it stops and it's like slamming the brakes on the car and everything from the back seat flies up in the front and you get to see all the shit that's been, you've been carrying around all that time. And that, I mean, I think that, that artists have a certain way uh, of dealing with that anyway, of dealing with everything that was sort of back there all along and, and conducting it and directing it and I think that people who are truly creative have the ability to create and create a, a world, you know, around it. And that's not to appoint you to like the grand, you know, utopia constructor of uh, Oregon, but like, yeah. <laughs> but, but there are networks, you know, uh, in the waiting and, and possibilities for that sort of thing to really have an effect right now, like really, really have an effect because, We've never experienced I mean, the, the possibility of a global event that affects so many people is so rare. I mean, that kind of thing is so yeah, that's true. rare. Yeah. And so the, the way that the, the fallout and the uncertainty has created this, you know, this opening of, of the seam. And I think, I think that's true, but you know, we're going to have to sift through so much bad stuff to totally corner. like, it's like Corona art. <laughs> there's love, gonna be a lot of bad stuff i mean love I at six be, feet like, I like being terrible I yeah i don't want to again talk about the bad but like i just i i mean there's just there's a lot i mean i was talking to a, a young group that i was working with and i was like I mean, I might have just been talking about their prospects or the aesthetics of their thing, but I was like, I'm glad you just spent your, finished your album before. Mm -hmm. You know, this one that you did, I wouldn't want you 
you know, you'll make another one in this time, but like there's, there's th- what, you, what they did is it's, it would, their type of music. I don't think it would be benefited from that, you know, and, <laughs> from a, mm-hmm. a Corona perspective and, but there's new things that are going to happen. And I hope that I, yeah, I think there is an opportunity, but I worry about it being squandered. <laughs> Well, you just have to not squander it yourself. I mean, not to put that yeah, on you, true. you know, but it, but it is, it is like, you know, that's the Walter Benjamin line where he says, you know, something like uh, the savior comes not only as the redeemer, but as the slayer of the antichrist where like, yeah, there are things to resist as well here that have to be slayed. You know, you can't just redeem society. You can't just create it anew. Like there, there will be also a battle that has to take place and maybe it will just be, but you know, the same battle, which I'm sure you're used to fighting anyway, which is the battle yeah, against mediocrity, you know, if, if it's, if it's in the realm of art where, you know, I mean, I think, well, if I, it, yeah, go I ahead. Of, uh, the arcades project. It's yeah. such an amazing book. I love it. And think of when he wrote thing. that. What's that? And think of when he wrote that yeah. or like when Joyce wrote Ulysses, yeah. you know, or whatever. I mean, it's these are world these are world changing moments in more ways than one, you know. So, so just do that, Steve. I will. Right. And by the way, when I saw you in yeah, I can handle that. When I saw you in Ireland uh, the next day, I almost tweeted you or texted you or something. Probably DM'd you because I was on one of those uh, lines, uh, boat lines to uh, Lennon, and it was like there was a whole James Joyce. There was like a Stephen Dedalus room and stuff. It was kind of <laughs> but it, you know, it was like a very worn out fairy that, you know, 90% of the people didn't, 99.5% of the people would not have known who the fuck that was or anything. <laughs> you know, they probably did in 1968 mm. when the thing was built. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just a side note. Well, no, but I mean, it's good because it's, it's one of those things where I want everybody to know who those characters are, but it, it also, it actually doesn't matter anymore because they've so permeated who we are at this point that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if people haven't read the book, they should read the book because it gives you something to read it when you really encounter that fucking thing. But, um, but it's in your DNA by this point, whether, whether you know or not. that rickety old fairy. I like taking those rickety old fairies <laughs> for some reason. Just reminds me of being in London in the nineties. Of that. London in the nineties was still like London in the sixties, or you know, it's like <laughs> it's pretty. Like, I mean, I'm sure areas of Ireland you are like don't feel like they're too. Uh, certain cafes are not too different than they ever were. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's definitely some places that retain that really, well, actually a lot of it really retains something. I mean, even in Dublin, you know, like I have a neighbor who she's always giving out to me about like not bringing her flowers and so on. So every time I walk by, she like makes fun of me. And so the other day she said something about croissants and I went to the store, they had no croissants, but I got her two cookies and I I gave them to her. And then uh, yesterday I was, I was in the backyard 
and I came into my house and there was an eclair and a piece of pie sitting on my windowsill that she had returned for me. Wow. So Ireland, you know, even, even as this sort of neoliberal Pac-Man, you know, wants to fucking eat up this entire city, it still retains itself. You know, it, it can't, it can't be completely destroyed, which I love. Um, but anyway, I, <laughs> but maybe we'll end with, with this last Deleuze quip, um, Deleuze and Guattari quip, where he says, you know, the sole purpose of philosophy is to be worthy of the event, you know? And I think, I think music is, I think music is the same, you know, the purpose of it is to be worthy of this kind of becoming. And, um, and you, you, yeah, you did that. And that's, <laughs> blows my fucking mind uh, man and i'm really and i'm really uh I that's mean, really I've, nice to say <laughs> yeah it's really well, nice of you to say i'll take it <laughs> i'll take it uh from you and um D and g and yeah yeah you know you've been you've been kicking around in my life since i was a kid so um i'm just very um, yeah, honestly, I'm cool. honored and happy to have this conversation yeah. with you. I, it was, yeah, it was interesting, and I, I had no idea uh, when I stumbled upon you on the internet that you were even into a similar, or that you had a path from uh, in indie rock. You know, I just saw you as a like pro uh, sex work um, philosopher. You know. <laughs> 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 which is enough and then you got this <laughs> or, well not pro sex work but sex workers rights or whatever are the same thing same, yeah. both for um, me actually so that's yeah fine. so anyway that's awesome you know <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> yeah. well uh thank you i i hope maybe we get to do an episode um in person sometimes um yeah are you is that what you're doing you have to do this now and is that was that part of your uh yeah your uh yeah razon that's what was to be face to face and have totally. more, more connection than than what we're used to these days like how much um, I, that makes sense and i bet you get even more uh intimate uh stuff that way you know we'd actually be kissing right now if i were it's the way I complete every episode. So yeah. sorry, but you know, in the well, future. Yeah. That's fair. How's Bifo at kissing? It was, uh, yeah, halting, but, uh, but, but rare. This European too on the cheek. He's Italian. So, you know, yeah. he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And thanks, Steve, uh, for being here with me. Thank you.